for the second part of our second show, Wired for War. And when last we left off, we were in a marsh of just <laughs> bullshit changes that occurred at the 11th hour. The match, I believe, was initially intended to be... Uh, Alex Reigns versus Chris Cross. And then... Uh, <laughs> we, we are currently at Jacus Pliskin versus Barrett Brown. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so if you're just jumping in on this episode, wrong episode to jump in for, go one back and listen to that one. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, so Alex gets injured, enter Barrett Brown. Or uh, enter Jacus. Enter Jacus. <laughs> Out goes Cross. <laughs> Out goes Cross because the dude fucking lied to me about being injured, said he tore a pectoral muscle because he didn't want to wrestle Jacus because he was a scared little brat. Yeah. And uh, this brings us to... Uh, in, in comes Barrett. In comes Barrett. Literally the night before the show, in the middle of my 12 to 16 hour shift, um, I get a phone call from Jacus, and I forget what the reason was, uh, but basically telling me he, he didn't want didn't to wrestle tomorrow. Um, I, I, th- I think he was going through... Some personal stuff. Yeah. Um, As Jake is his want to do. Yeah. You know. Um, and I just freak out on him. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, uh, he like, he called back, like, two years later and apologized for this. Like, the thing with Jake is, is Jake is, Jake is, is a killer. Like, he is. He's, he's a, you know. But he has this, like, super soft puppy dog heart, you know. Um but anyway, I also want to say that I have a vague memory of him kind of going, yeah, no, yeah, no. Yes. He said he was going to, he said, oh yeah, for sure. I'm good for the booking. And then the, the night before he goes, no. And then I want to say that the next day there was talk of him saying that he was going to come. And yes. then he decided again, no, I'm not gonna. So no, what it was, was what it was, was, um, he, what happened was, what had happened was. <laughs> So he calls and tells me he's not coming, and I basically am like, bro, it's the day before the show. You know better than this. You're treating me like a fucking muck promotion. Like, what the fuck, man? We go all the way back. What are you doing to me? So I call, and I guess he, stu- he stews on this. I call you, and I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> Here we go. Um, and we, we come up with what we end up doing. And then he calls back and is like, well, I'll just come. It's like, dude, we're already beyond that, you know? And then it was like, well, I'm just going to show up. Like you booked me. I'm going to, and it's like, dude, obviously not in a great mental place. Um, but what we, uh, what we got to was the first utilization of the Ricky Starks lounge. The VIP VIP section. Yeah. There was, there was a, um. There was a section, uh, a round table with a black tablecloth where uh, certain folks who were uh, affluent would sit. And uh, it was Ricky's section. And in fact, I think Ricky even had like a bodyguard very briefly. That sounds about right. Yeah, he had a really tall guy who would, you know, wear a suit. And uh, that was that was his, his diesel. But the, the guy didn't have much character. And I don't think he really came back after several shows. No, I think he was a, a student that decide wrestling wasn't for him yeah but um so we end up with uh barrett and ricky uh, and i'm a little cloudy on uh what what happened here but the winner of this match would go on to face 
Sean Vex. Yep. And the winner of that match would be in the three-way on the next show. So we must have had like an open challenge for either Starks or Vex, right? Yeah. It had to have been. And then, you know, so we were going to do Vex versus Starks anyway. So Starks pulls double duty. So let me backtrack a little bit. So here's the deal. Like from the outside looking in, you may go, okay, Jacob Spliskin dropped off the show. Why don't you just find somebody new? Well, at the 11th hour, um, number you can't really fly somebody in because you can't get a plane ticket in that time. And then on top of that, most of the talent worth using already has a dance partner for the day, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, the one thing that I really need to be emphatic about is that I, I wanted to be quality control uh, to an almost strangulating degree. Uh, I didn't want this to be get your friends and family on the fucking card. I'd seen too much of that. I mean, there were some excruciating wrestling shows that I sat through over the years in the state of Texas where it was just garbage bagger after garbage bagger and and just matches that just made no sense. Everything had a purpose on our cards. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to make sure that if we, if we, if we had to trade something out, we didn't just trade out. We traded up. Yeah. Which led to me uh, wanting two string on Max on a few occasions, but uh, was for the right reason and led to the quality of cards that we had. So here we, we have Starks pull double duty. Um, this gives us an opportunity to get Starks uh, a lot of momentum coming off of the DQ finished last show Starks shines on this particular show. Yeah. I think this is the show where he had me dying. Um, he, he cuts a promo where he's talking, I, I believe to, to Barrett. And as, as he's getting in the ring, someone screams at him to shut up. And he just starts going off on this guy and says that he is going to continue to talk till the, the world explodes. And then he's going to go to the guy's funeral and then he's going to talk some more over the priest. And he just, and the crowd is roaring as he just yells at this guy about how he's never going to shut the fuck up. And, and it, it really like, you know, Starks is heel at this point, but there's just something about the guy that you, you love, you know? Yeah. He, he has that, that unique charisma. And I remember, I will always remember the first match that I saw Ricky wrestle was with Jojo Bravo in, you know, at one of these uh, student shows. And it, it was all the little things, right? It wasn't that he was doing any crazy moves at the time, but it was just as he walked over Jojo's body, he took the extra second to give him a little extra kick. You know, he, he, scraped his boot in the corner just the little things nuance detail and also humor he has such an incredible sense of humor man he's like he's 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 another one of those people that just his personality is fantastic he'd be a phenomenal actor in fact yeah and his timing right his timing on physical timing comedic timing everything is uh is off the charts so him and barrett brown and this is so cool at this point in time right you know two of the young extremely talented guys in texas they just go out there and fucking they have as the kids would say today a banger right so a great match between two guys that are are up and coming and uh you know you know both setting their getting their wings out right 
starting to venture out and just go at it. Uh, this is what I love about wrestling matches like this. Yeah. And uh, at this point, Ricky has that arc that he's kind of jumping off of where he's, uh, I guess we're kind of doing like an anger management kind of thing where he's sort of testing his threshold and, and as a character learning to control himself after he lost his last match via DQ. So he is, uh, his character is slowly evolving and he's having a series of experiences going forward that help him kind of, learn what his temper can cost him yeah so he gets the clean win here he's going to go on later to face vex uh this is going to allow him to atone for getting dq'd um last month uh so that's later on down the card uh up next we have um gregory james who is now unholy gregory james basically doing the black metal gimmick taking on jeff gant um Gant's a great babyface here, babyface in peril. Uh, James is uh, getting his feet with this uh, death metal uh, gimmick. looks looks great. Um, I I kind of wish the the gear style that came became popular about two or three years ago. I think he could have taken and and would have would have put him over the top. I think that that at this point in time, this gimmick was. Ahead of the curve. Yeah. Like, I, I was really proud of it. It was something that I crafted. We are, at this point, trying to build um, James up by giving him a streak. Uh, the plan is to basically start creating these uh, machines that the champion or future champion will have to overcome. You know, you, you build your opponents. You don't just throw them feeder fish, right? So, we have... We have Greg uh, Gregory James here doing the the mist. He's got the corpse paint. Um, this is also the first show with uh, Morbius. Yes. So JC Bravo, who this this is the funny part, right? So if you had told me from the very start, hey, in two shows you'll be using JC Bravo, I may have just told you now. Forget it. We won't do the, the promotion, right? But you know, JC showed up on the first show. Was very interested. Uh, jumped right into this. I mean, he, he, he bit the leg of this yeah. gimmick and just shook the fuck out of it, man. He yeah. did great. Uh, he was awesome. Yeah. So yeah, Morbius was, uh, uh, one of the death metal clods yeah. in, uh, in this clique that we began to build. And, uh, I believe what happens here is that, uh, we get, uh, we get James and Gant and Gant gets some good hope spots, but then ultimately gets misted. By Greg James and Morbius and Greg James basically abduct Gant yeah. and uh, leave the building with his uh, his slain corpse. So from that we go into Claxton versus Dalton. Now this is this is right up my alley. This is classic Texas Southern Texas yeah. pro wrestling that that uh, I'm, do you do you hate world class Southern style or no I, I like it yeah. but the and, thing is is that mediation I, right. I don't, you know, it's like when you go to a buffet, if you yeah. go to a buffet and it's just chicken, you'd be pissed off. Yeah. You know, so I like it, but I don't like just that. Yeah. I think the, one of the problems is that in uh, wrestling here, down here in Texas, one of the things that I encountered. You get the full card. The, yeah, it's just, it's it's samey. It's just yeah. the same so, fucking thing. So the, the other thing is you get this weird Memphis spin, Memphis style spin on texas style wrestling yeah where it's all gimmicks and you know smoke and mirrors and shit um 
I, I like when you can just have two Southern boys beat the shit out of each other. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and that's a lot of what this match was um, with uh, Claxton getting the win over Dalton. I, I, after the first show, was really high on Dalton at this point. Yeah. I, I, th- I thought that this was a guy who could, he was a unique talent in that he could go out there, have a phenomenal match. A lot of people that I've encountered, wrestlers, they tend to be really absorbed, or not good wrestlers, by the way, bad wrestlers, tend to be really absorbed in uh, their wins and their losses. And uh, you can still look like a million bucks and not go over, you know? Um, You can get over and not go over. A lot of people don't seem to understand that. Sometimes it's how you fight the fight that gets you over and makes people really pay attention to you. There's a lot of times you can get more in a loss than you can in a win. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And Dalton was one of those guys who could... uh, you could put him on a losing streak, but people would still be compelled by him, and he would always come out with something, and he would always look like a million bucks. You you can have him show his ass, not literally, but sometimes, um, and then give him the mic for fucking two minutes, and he's got his heat back. Yeah, you know, it never mattered if Dalton lost. No, never mattered. And and all of his matches were always great. So he always he always looked strong no matter what. He was an obstacle. He wasn't just somebody that came out and got tombstoned and then rolled out of the ring and and that's that. He wasn't he wasn't the Brooklyn brawler, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he uh, this match was great. I was very I was I was enthralled by this match. So up next we have Showtime Scott Summers and Ray Rowe. Yeah. I remember being very happy that uh, Scott was on this card. Uh, we had concocted a storyline for Scott that sort of begins here. Yep. So Showtime is one of my closest friends in the business. Um, like you know, on on a list of like five, right? Um. And after the first show, he, he calls me. He's like, what the fuck? Like, all my friends are there having a good time, and I had to be at home, right? And I remember calling Max and being like, all right, man. We got we to gotta get Russ on. We got to get Showtime on just, the card. Just to preface this, too, uh, we talked uh, on the other show about how Jake is, is one of these people who is a legitimate, intimidating force and who's someone I would not not want to fuck with. Yeah. Scott's another one of those guys. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that Scott and I, Scott and I always had kind of a – a good chemistry because I worked for a number of years as a, a, a door guy, as a security guy, a uh, line of work he's very familiar with. So he understands the slings and the arrows that, that, you know, erupt in your face when you're doing that job. And he also understands that it takes a legitimate toughness. Um, a lot of people who know me don't really think of me as being a tough guy, but unfortunately I've had to be put in positions where I, I do have to prove that I, you know, I'm not a slouch. And so Scott, really connected with me over that occupation, but still like, he's a guy that I would never in a million years want to fuck with. And the thing that's really amazing about Scott too, is that a lot of what what he does offense wise looks phenomenal. When you think he's killing somebody, he's being real gentle. And in fact, I know there were instances where I actually saw him hurt people and it it didn't look like he was hurting anybody, but that's like when he wants to hurt you in the ring and he's got a problem with you, you won't be able to tell from the outside that that's what he's doing. Um, so they had had a match in BOW, uh, Jack Stane's promotion. Um, in, in our media, we referenced that. Yeah. Right. 
So there was this is a non-finish uh, finish. It was not that on paper when we walked in the door. Um, so there was an issue because they felt like we were building off their storyline, which we sort of were, you know. Um, but it was kind of like we've mentioned before. We didn't want to just have a match that clearly there was was backstory to that we didn't address in some way. Um, so they had had this this really um, well-received match in San Antonio. We knew that we had some people that traveled from San Antonio to our show, so we mentioned it, right? I think we even billed it as Showtime versus Road 2. Um, and then we, we set a different set of stipulations to make it a little different. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, the the first encounter that they had had tremendous buzz uh, about it. And so, yeah, we really wanted to bring Scott in in this big way. Um, Road two. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, but also, I think uh, we had to we had to alter the match itself and kind of respect, uh, I believe, the other company yeah. <laughs> involved. Uh, by giving them a non-finish, I yeah. believe it was our first like it was our first weird political negotiation. Eh, I think I think the Bolt Brady thing was our first, but this yeah, was but definitely... the other company wasn't involved in that one. That's true. All right. So I originally they were like, well, "What if I just get hurt?" And I like I hate hokey kayfabe injuries, so I was like, if, if "Fucking everybody in this building better believe you're fucking, <laughs> you know, your legs broken or some shit." Um, and I think we went with the double countout. Yeah. Something along those lines. So, um, but still still to this day, a match that fucking is incredibly hard-hitting and holds up. Yeah, great match. So from that, we, from earlier in the night, we now have Starks versus Vex. Um, Sean Vex, it, at, at this time especially, was another one of those guys that I considered uh, a close personal friend from the business. Um, and is somebody that is always... Uh, his presentation is incredibly genuine. Uh, it reminds me sort of of like the Eddie Kingston charisma where like you just, they just feel very real. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is Vex versus Starks. At this time, uh, Vex was positioned as one of the top guys in Texas. Um, and so Ricky Starks gets the clean win over Sean Vex here. And then Sean Vex... Uh, puts him over in a promo afterwards that uh, I I get to see that that sparkle from Vex that shines through from time to time that very uh, genuine delivery. That, yeah, that's all. He also kind of he's from East St. Louis, legit from East St. Louis, so he has a little bit of that edge to him too. But you you get that actual real feel from him. That guy that guy is pure gold, and in fact. Uh, my first ACW show, the show that hooked me, which took place at the original Emos on uh, Red River. And I'm not talking about that bullshit that looks like a CVS that's out there now appropriating the name. I'm talking about the old Emos uh, that was on Red River and 6th. Um, one of the matches that just blew my mind in terms of the quality. Um, the setting left much to be desired, uh, but the quality of the work was undeniable and it was uh showtime scott summers versus uh you know That's the right. infamous sean vex and that match blew my mind uh so at that point 
I was really elated to be working with the roster that we had. I saw a lot of guys that I really admired that I knew could do quality work. And I thought if we gave them the right environment, the right motivation, and we created a non-drama, you know, locker room that these guys could really persevere. Um, the one thing that we weren't really quite there on yet was presenting our stuff, uh, as media in a quality way, I really wanted to create a workshop where guys could go, Hey, check out this match that I had in this place. You know, um, we weren't there yet. Yeah. (laughs) And, and going back over this card, if you had a time machine and you go back to 2013, this isn't a Texas all-star lineup. Like these are, you have JT LaMotta, you have Sean Vex, you know, you have Andy Dalton, Showtime, Ray Rowe, Barrett Brown, Ricky Starks is coming up at the time. Um, the Dagger Brothers have, you know, are the hot new tag team on the scene. Uh, you've got Dalton, right? Um, and then you go into the main event, and one of the wrestlers that uh, started to get a huge reaction on our first show, our Jun Akiyama, if you will, of Inspire Pro's first show, <laughs> Jojo Bravo. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, hesitant reserve Jojo has, uh, has a bit of a fan swelling building on at this point. And it's Jojo versus Mike Dell versus Bolt Brady, who, <clears throat> and I'll say this about Bolt at this time is he is fucking cut. Yeah. He is in some of the best shape he's, he he's looks, ever been. He in. looks like a fucking action figure. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, Mike Dell as well. You know, he walks around and looks like fucking a uh, a GameCube fucking creator wrestler. Like, the proportions are all there. He looks like a fucking star. Um, so, we have we got three baby faces in the, in the main event. And uh, this is something that I would, you know, today I would go, Max, we got to have at least one heel in there. But this match really works. Yeah, and I w- but I, I think you said that at that point, too. And I said, no, man, this is fine. Yeah. You know, and uh, it... it- you know, because at the heart of good professional wrestling, you have competitiveness. And I, I don't think that your D&D alignment should play a factor in who you're facing. If there's one guy who's really good and another guy who's really good, it shouldn't matter what their alignment is. They should just be competing for that top honor. And, uh, you know, I, I always like to think that I did a good balance of um, playing 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 with those elements. Yeah. And... Yeah, just a, a good reminder here that three baby faces and a triple threat turns yeah. out pretty good. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Mike Dell, I believe, is filming the movie that he was in during his time with us at this point. I think he, I think that, that was the case. So, yeah. I think maybe even that crew is here for this show or the next show or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, um, but, yeah, Dell is in the, the Pepsi halftime commercial. He is in a few other commercials. Yeah, and he, he's, some, had a, he's had a lot of brushes with uh, the entertainment industry. He was also seen on a show called Suplex Duplex on Adult Swim's uh, programming. Su- Suplex Duplex Complex. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah. Okay, I, I never saw it. Yeah. I did. I don't got cable, man. I'm a wrestling promoter. Yeah. I think I watched, I watched it on um, YouTube or... Yeah, I downloaded it on Torrent. Yeah, when, I, no. several of my very dear friends actually uh, worked on that show, including uh, a fellow by the name of Zach Carlson. Yeah, so also also starring uh, Lance Archer. Yes, 
and the most famous person on that show, Chas Taylor. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Moving along. Moving along. Um, we got a little bit of time. Let's let's dive into some external external uh, inspire related stories around the time. So I'm not sure if it was between this or before this show, but we also had the promotional spot with um, Alamo. Yeah. The the bots versus beast. Oh man, I really don't want to talk about that. That <laughs> that turned out. You know, I'm not. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I'm not a huge Alamo Drafthouse fan because I don't like the way that they treat people. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we did set up a promotional spot where I believe it was uh, we 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 dressed up JoJo and Ricky. JoJo and, and Ricky were robots. Yeah, and I believe uh, uh, Ricky Romita. Yeah. Was a kaiju. Yeah. And uh, Bryce, um, Bryce. Um, simply Luscious's husband. Yeah, Bryce and Scott. Bryce and Scott got his tryout with us, uh, dressed up as a, a, a kaiju as well. So at some point, it's funny that we mentioned Zach Carlson because at this point I was hosting a series uh, uh, called Video Hate Squad at Alamo uh, regularly. And uh, through them, I was asked if I would put on a wrestling promotional for the film Pacific Rim. And... Uh, it was not a very positive experience. No. Uh, it kind of just plays into why I don't like the company and uh, why I don't think I ever want to do anything with them again. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I had to chase. I had to chase the the money that they offered me yeah. to do this uh, all night, and they also said that they were going to get the wrestlers in to see the film, which they didn't. Uh, yeah. It just it was it was kind of just a, a nightmare. Yeah, um, it was it was like so there it was a tag team. We didn't have a ref, right? No. The we uh, we used uh, Ralph. Stan Summers as a ring announcer who also doubled as a ref and mm. like represented humankind. Um, he was dressed as Patton. Yeah, he did. He did the uh, Patton speech, or at least he was supposed to. Yes, he got close, but uh, not the not the performer that you would want in that that position. Um, yeah, he came out and did did the patent speech, and then the monsters attacked him, and yeah. then the robots who were played by Ricky Starks and JoJo came yeah, out and, and saved, and saved him, and there was a match. And, it, you know, it was all over in the blink of an eye, but uh, the kids had fun. Yeah. It came off well. It was professionally produced. It looked good. It was done on a hair, you know, on, yeah. on, on like, you know, on, on a shoestring budget. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, a shoestring budget we got three months later. Yeah. 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 Um, so there's that. And then there at some point here, we get courted by the NWA. Is this when this begins? Yes. Yeah. Oh, so man. So sometime, sometime before the... Um, the third show, uh, we take a trip to uh, to Houston. I'm curious to hear how you're going to paint this shit because yeah. I, I have a very specific recollection of you turning fucking white because of how I <laughs> behaved at this meeting. Yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah. We'll just we'll just get into it. Wait, okay, wait a second. When did the uh, New Japan shows happen? This is later on. This is later on. What the, the New Japan shows or? Oh, it's getting close. Okay. The New Japan shows take place between our fourth show and our third show. So, we take a trip down to Cypress, Texas, where it's which is the um, at this point the main office of the NWA, because my close friend Tony Brooklyn, and um, another Hello. gentleman Bruce Thorpe, have 
procured the rights to the NWA. Uh, on our first show, I hit them up and see if they're interested in us. And it's like they want no part of us. Uh, but now they seem to be interested. So we're going to take this trip. We're going to meet with them. And we're going to see, you know, what's up. So we get there and it's chaos. So we basically just get put in the crowd. This for, is at a VFW hall, by the way. Yes. We need, we need to... The world famous Cypress VFW. <laughs> um, so. I'm not going to go into the quality of the show. I really liked Tony. He yeah. seemed like a very genuine person. However, Bruce Tharp, on the other hand, just seemed kind of like a game show host. Yeah. Uh, I, I, he's just one of those people who you look at him and his teeth are too fucking white. And there's just something off about the guy. He's, he has a real snake oil quality Dude. to him. And I, I don't feel, I'm not worried about saying that. I think, I think that anybody that really knows the situation, uh, that, that erupted later on would yeah. agree with me. He, he looks like the human embodiment of Reagan from the Genesis fucking music video with glasses. Yeah. Yeah. With glasses. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he literally looks like claymation. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so we we don't get to do this business before the show. So we have to wait the entire show. Uh, then we're kind of waiting around while business is being handled at the show. And we finally get ushered into, like, this closet in the dressing room. Uh, I got I to gotta tell a story. Right, I'm going to let... I gotta, I gotta don't, break, I gotta break in, I gotta break don't, in. Because, don't break in with Chaz until the very end. No, no, no. Okay. There's, there's the thing that occurred with Chaz before oh, the my show God. even begins. Oh yes. <laughs> so yeah, uh, you need to give people a little background yes. on who Chaz Taylor is. Oh, he's the most famous Texas wrestler of all time. Yeah. No bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So Chaz. <laughs> so when I was booking in Houston, uh, I was, this is air quotes. Yeah. Working with Chaz. Which meant I would write up the card, I would take his ideas, I would modify them to be into something that I thought might actually draw people into a building, send them back, and then he would show them to his dad as his work. And that is incredibly degrading and should have never been something that I like fucking accepted. Um, but it was my first big break to do something creative. Chaz, so and Chaz, Chaz like I had to paint the, 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 the yeah. picture of the portrait, but Chaz is kind of like this beefy guy with a mullet. Yeah. And, uh, he is kind of almost like the stereotypical idea of an eighties wrestler. Yes. So right out of the gate, there's something kind of like familiar about him. Yeah. So yeah, like Chaz, Chaz broke in with global with his dad, um, was on TV like at the age of like 18 right um and in chaz's mind he went on to become the biggest wrestler in the world in like 1996 <clears throat> so he is still basically living in a 1996 where he is the greatest wrestler of all time there's a little kenny powers in this mix a lot um <laughs> so I will uh, I will yield back to you for okay, so, Chaz story number one. So, yeah, we drive uh, from Austin to Houston to go see this NWA show. And my my general idea is that, you know, our our second show, of course, was, was well received because at that point, you know, as a booker, I took my position really seriously. And I think I was probably manic at points in not only just remaining consistent, but topping every fucking thing that we would do. I, w I was really adamant that this show has to be better than the last. We have to blow what we just did out of the water and we have to continue to climb. The crowd was super hot. Um, you know, 
more people showed up than the last show. I think that's one thing that we need to kind of emphasize yep. is that the gate, we saw the gate grow. Yeah, I think you we know? were close to 200 this yeah. year. Yeah. So, like, you know, the first show was 150. This show, I believe, was over 200, you know, but we we, we, we broke what we yeah. drew initially. There, there were more than 200 people in the building, and we had sold to close to 200 of them. Yeah, so, you know, we, we, saw, we saw growth. That's really important to mention uh, because a lot of times, you know, maybe if you pop a number for that first show, you, you might not have hooked anybody. Yeah. First but, show may have sucked and no one came back. Yeah. Right? But we had, we that, had people, you know. That was not the case. So at this point, I think it's it, it suffice to say that in some ways we had created this buzz. And we were kind of the prettiest girl at the dance at that point. And that is why this company, NWA, uh, the classic NWA, <laughs> sort of, uh, an incarnation of it, um, that had been bought and sold and traded like some broken down mule uh, to these other guys. That's why they came knocking at our door because they knew that we had tapped into this market. Um, one thing I need to touch upon before we move any further is NWA velocity. Oh yes. This is really important and, and I need, I need to go into this and it, it, it really kind of establishes why my attitude was pretty shitty. I, I when I went, um, so there was a, there's, there's a, there's a hall that's actually just down the road from my house where, uh, was it, was it Austin Rhodes? Austin Rhodes. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's related to Dusty Rhodes. No, no, he's not. <laughs> yeah. So he was apparently married to like his cousin at some point. Like for a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. D Dustin and Cody. Uh, do not recognize him. No, no. But this guy has like really banked off of the Rhodes name. Um, he is largely kind of laughed at by most people who know who he is. Um, I don't really understand what his relationship was with the NWA at the time, but he somehow managed to exploit this building who gave him a monthly budget of $5,000 to run shows out of... Uh, this 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 convention center and uh the funny thing is is that he blew most of the money on tna advertising time but in his infinite genius decided to run his shows on tna pay-per-view days um but yeah they basically drew about 40 people i think for the yeah. first show even with the nwa name so at this point i know i've heard a lot of horror stories about this run and how the venue became incredibly soured on the idea of professional wrestling. But also to me, it proved that in this market, just throwing the letters NWA on your card or your poster did not mean shit. It didn't mean anything. So uh, anyway, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very soft at this point about joining. I don't, I'm not interested in just signing this thing off. I have a lot of bad ideas about what's, what's going to be said to me. You know, when we sit down and talk with Tony. But yeah, so Austin to Houston. Oh, man. And I get there and uh, of course, I've got to, you know, I've got to take a leak. And so I go, I go <laughs> into the bathroom and I'm standing there, you know, and I finish, I finish relieving myself. And as I turn around, I find myself nose to nose, <laughs> nose to nose with Chaz Taylor, who's just towering over me, this shirtless, 
baby oiled up guy i can smell it on him and his 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 mullet is just glistening and he's like looking at me very seriously like <laughs> mad dogging me like i feel like i'm in prison and he goes you ever get the feeling that you're being watched <laughs> <laughs> and so i'm like i'm like no man you were real slick and then he just goes oh, i'm just joshing you and he slaps me in the arm like i'm fucking gilligan you know <sighs> And then, of course, we go and we take our seats and we watch this show, which, you know, to me is the epitome of what I didn't really like at the time about Texas wrestling. Just, you know, there was, you know, it was just a show. I didn't like the crowd. I didn't like the building. But uh, after the show, we find ourselves talking business. And this is to me, this was just like. So yeah. Tony asks us to step into a supply closet, yes. which to me was just the most <laughs> flea market bootleg <laughs> bullshit. I did not expect that. I thought that maybe I thought, hey, man, maybe we're going to go to a Chili's or something afterwards. Yeah. Nope, we're going to sit around these bottles of bleach and a fucking mop <laughs> and talk about our potential deal. The uh, boxes of sun chips. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> anyway, go, you, you, you can you can go oh. on. I want to hear your oh. your take on this. The deal. The deal was set like. We were already in a shitty mood from having to sit through the show. And then the deal was sour. So I remember like, cause Tony's a close friend of mine. Right. Um, and I remember you basically just bold face being like, Nope. Um, no, no. I, okay. Whereas I, I would be, I would be more in tune to just being like, eh, it's probably not going to work for us. And then we drive back home. Uh, you, if I remember correctly, laid out details. Yes, I did. So, uh, the idea was that we would affiliate and we would put the, the name on our product and uh, they wouldn't tamper with anything. But it, but, you know, I didn't really understand exactly what they were going to do for us. OK, because yeah. at that point, these are two old guys. They don't know anything about social media. There's just nothing there. There's no value other than putting the NWA thing, you know, the, 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 that logo on your poster. So we're in the closet <laughs> talking to Tony Brooklyn. And uh, he tells me, what was the number? He said, like, in order for you to put our acronym on your poster, yeah, we're going to need X amount of dollars. And I think when he made it abundantly clear that we would be paying them. Yeah. I think it was $1,000. Yeah. $1,000 a year, I think, is yeah. what the initial. Yeah. yeah. And I said, wait, we got to pay to do this? <laughs> and... Uh, at this point, Biss has this look <laughs> on his face like, uh, what the fuck, bro? Like his, his, his mouth is slightly agape and his yeah. eyes are real wide. And I say to Tony, no offense, but NWA Velocity drew flies based on your company's name. And it had Austin Rhodes uh, involved with it. And he also burnt the venue so that no company can ever run out of it again. NWA did not come out smelling like a batch of roses in that situation, but it also proved that the NWA name has absolutely no value in Austin. I said that we'd had uh, exponential growth from one event to the other, and people are very excited to work with us, so I see no reason why I should be paying them to work for them to make their brand matter in our city. I said I would be happy to fly the NWA flag, but I am not going to pay to do it because yeah. I think that that is just not good business. Yeah. So, obviously, everyone in that room, not super excited about, not the outcome that anyone thought was going to happen. I don't think anybody expected me to talk. Oh. If I brought you there, I knew that you were going to talk. <laughs> I may not have expected you to say that, but... uh 
But anyway, so we go to leave the uh, the room, and we walk out, and there is Chaz Taylor, butt naked, with his ass facing the door, reading the newspaper, like it's the greatest gag of all time, and it's it's like we're in a fucking we're walking out of a fucking and his, funeral, and home. his basketball shorts are around his ankles. Yes. In the middle of the room. In the middle of the room. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, we uh, we turned down the NWA deal and walked out to Chaz Taylor's, Chaz Taylor's ass. ass. Yeah. So, uh, the NWA will come back up <laughs> later on. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, not think... not a great step in the relationship. Yeah. The to... um the the drive back was fairly quiet. I thought Biss was mad at me, and he may very well have been. And I think that the only thing that really broke the ice with us was when we almost died <laughs> on the road. Um, yes. Yeah, I don't know what what the hell happened, man. Like, uh, we were we were like we were on a a very yeah. rural road going back, and some a guys two way road. Yeah. And somebody swerved into our lane. I had to swerve into the opposite lane to get around him. Yeah. Yeah, and then that guy like spun off into a ditch and. Uh, I think we were just too tired to go check on him, and, uh, and and scared shitless. Scared shitless, and we just kind of laughed, and you know, then yeah. that that kind of like brought us back <laughs> together. I mean, facing death, you know, yeah, you know, it's probably the only thing that could have made Biss, if he was mad at me, not mad at me. I, I don't <laughs> at think I was. I don't think I was mad. I wasn't mad at you. I was. I was disappointed that they didn't see the value of working out a deal with us, other than just doing the weird carny thing where they mill money from other promotions. I don't think my disappointment lied in you. I think my disappointment lied in that. Uh, I didn't, I never really enjoyed the NWA, but then once Tony got it, I thought that maybe it would be different and I was getting the feeling it wasn't going to be different. Yeah. So that, um, that was sort of my disappointment. So, yeah, I mean, the Sheik basically, not the Iron Sheik, but, you know, the uh, the Sheik that, you know, previously held the title. That guy paid for that title with cocaine. Yes. You know, it didn't it didn't have a rosy reputation no. at that point. I, I always believed that there was value in the women's title and in the light heavyweight title. Because the lineage of those titles, at least for an indie fan, is pretty cool. Um, and then if you go further back, there's some cool lineage to those titles that you could maybe play with um, if you wanted to to present them. And you'll kind of see my ideas for that the further down the road we get with uh, some of the other things. Yeah, anyway, I think that's a good stopping point before we jump into our third event. Um, but yeah, there we are, parked on the side of the road uh, after almost getting killed and turning down the NWA, which is not where I saw myself at that point in time, uh, five years prior. Anyway, uh, we'll see you soon. <laughs>